Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily Pucks podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood and the players who run it all. This is Teddy Schleifer, a poor man's Peter Hamby. It is Monday, March 21, and on today's show, I'm talking to my boss, Puck co-founder and executive producer of this show, John Kelly, for a second segment of what we call Media Mondays. We'll cover all things football, from Troy Aikman and Joe Buck moving over to ESPN, to kind of the creative genius of Manningcast. Then we'll talk about Netflix possibly going into ads, and Ben and Justin Smith maybe going into subscriptions. We'll hear all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Welcome, everybody, to the Powers That Be Daily. It is Monday, which means we're talking with my boss, John Kelly, the media expert or a media reporter, I think, in, in another life. Maybe this one. If you, were, if you were a full-time reporter, I feel like you'd be a media reporter. Is that fair? Well, the first thing I want to say, Teddy, is Peter who? You know, yeah, seriously. this podcast follows in the great tradition, as well as your other understudy attempts, of reminding us of Lou Gehrig filling in for Wally Pipp or or mm. Tom Brady filling in for Drew Bledsoe, or some might say Mike Pence filling in for Donald Trump. So you're off to a great start, and flattering me certainly helps. So um, I, I'm not immune to that. But in another lifetime, yeah, I guess so. I mean, certainly we all live this world, so I think we're all a little obsessed with it, and 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 maybe I'm too close to it, although I'm sure on some level I would like to imagine myself in another life as a, an Indiana Jones international correspondent type, but media reporter is probably more like it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, speaking of Drew Bledsoe and the uh, the great unretired, now re-retired, then unretired Tom Brady, big news this week in the media world is that sort of the face of Fox NFL coverage, Troy Aikman, who apparently was uh, doing this with Joe Buck, though no one really thinks about Joe Buck much anymore. They are moving over to ESPN to revive Monday Night Football. Uh, ESPN, you know, is obviously the franchise. They're going to pay 35% more to carry Monday Night Football, to carry the Monday Night Games as part of a new multi-year deal. Aikman is now going to be up there in Tony Romo's salary land, $17.5 million a year. Still, in my opinion, not as good as Tony Romo, who is, I think, the greatest color commentator incredible. in sports. Incredible. Tell me what this means to you as just someone who thinks a lot about the media angle here that ESPN is, is so desperate to revive their kind of flagship live sports program. They're spending big to get sort of the faces of Fox Sports. Well, there are a ton of things going on here, and it's a completely fascinating, possibly, in, in my estimation at least, multi-year blip in the market. So as you say, ESPN has had money in football for a very long time, and the crews that they have been installing in the MNF booth have not been succeeding, I think, ratings-wise. There are plenty of rumblings that the NFL itself has not been thrilled with the likes of Booger McFarland and, and others. Um, I mostly watched it just for Scott Van Pelt afterwards, just because he, like, <laughs> like, like I, I cared more about the post-Monday Night Football analysis than actually watching kind of the the has-beens in the booth. Yeah, Joe Tessitore is not the, the greatest reporter in that booth ever. But what's happening now is obviously Romo remade the market. And for sort of the same reasons we're seeing now, a couple of years ago, CBS, I think, realized that they needed 
the NFL in their sports portfolio to maintain the validity of, of the network and the, and, the, and the parent company. And they made clear after Roma's astonishing surprise success. I mean, Roma's ability to go from the huddle to the booth w- within a year, you know, knocked everyone's socks off and also to do with the Masters, by the way, not just his predictability, oh, sure. but his also in- enthusiasm and his uncanny ability to get along with Jim Nance, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do uh, for, for three and a half hours. So he remade the market. I think he makes close to $20 million a year. And ESPN now finds itself in need of having a sort of live sports anchor. We know that the NFL made up about 75% of the top 100 rated television events last year. So TV itself, the linear TV platform that we all grew up with is now being reduced to live news and sports. And if you had to reduce it further, it's largely football. So for ESPN, which is sort of a a peripheral player in that it's not um, in that bundle, it certainly is streamable through the new Disney portfolio of, of apps, but they need the NFL. They need the NFL to succeed greatly. And we're seeing what is a really fascinating sort of reshaping. It looks like Al Michaels is going to leave the NBC booth and go to Amazon. Right. And there was some speculation that, that Aikman will go on to Thursday Night Football and done the Amazon deal. But I guess it's just too, yeah, I think, too niche. I think can't... Amazon was a stalking horse. I'm, I, yeah, Aikman, yeah, the, the rumors out of, or the, the mumbling out of Aikman world was that the ratings are too small. And he's in the, the sort of prime of his broadcasting career, whereas Al Michaels is about 77 years old. But I assume that everyone must think that the NFL is a incredibly, carnivorously capitalistic organization, even though it's a 501c3. And they know that streaming is going to be how fans connect with the games in the future. The NFL has been incredibly smart about making sure that it has a representative audience of you know young people, women, people that aren't core football fans, and millennials and Zs will be next. And as they continue to consume their content over streaming, you can be sure that the rights will transfer there. So when Aikman's deal is up, I think in 2027, my assumption is his next deal will be with Amazon or Hulu or Disney Plus or whoever has the games then. I think that it's going to be hard for ESPN or CBS to compete with with those platforms. To some extent, you think this is kind of the last gasp of kind of the, the major talent going to one of the traditional television networks as opposed to like, you know, Troy Aikman in 2027 might do that, but whoever, you know, the next Tony Romo is, you think they're probably just starting out at, at a Hulu, starting out at an Amazon? Well, I think the big change is going to be, and obviously we could be totally wrong, we're, we're predicting years into the future, but I think that format innovation is going to be the name of the game. So there'll be more things like the Manning cast, where you have your main anchors making Aikman money, but you're going to have many alternatives it's kind of what we see in like micro wagering now where, where mm. your generation, Teddy, doesn't want to go to a casino anymore or a sports book. And I don't blame you. They're, they're largely disgusting. Yeah, just play, you just play online, right? Exactly. So you may find that people who are coming into their sports watching prime want to only watch a sort of, you know, mobile first red zone version of the game. And that's not going to be hosted by a traditional anchor like an Al Michaels or a Mike Tarico, right? It'll be hosted by a a person who's probably like a backup punter for the Bills right now who we don't even know yet and is going to remake his career or her career. Jay Feely, isn't he, isn't he still doing like the CBS like kicking expert? They bring him on for like- Yeah, Jay Feely's uh, great. Jay <laughs> Feely is, um, he's always out there before the game telling you about the wind and the weather and how it's going to affect conditions. <laughs> More than you ever want to know about, you know, someone's pliability uh, in the uh, week 16 games. Yeah, I don't know what the Jay Feely contract looks like <laughs> in Amazon, but I have to assume that, again, in five years when these deals are going to be expiring. We don't know who the parent company of CBS will be. Netflix has said many, many times that they don't want to get into live news. They don't want to get into live sports. 
and they have every number of reasons to stick to their guns there. But I also know that what media executives can say shouldn't be written down in, in stone or, or running water, as Catullus once said, because consumer behavior changes quickly and they have to move with the times. I was going to bring up the Manning cast before you did, because our colleague Matt Bellany has been writing about just like the lack of imagination, honestly, just in, t- in television media in general, the idea of just having kind of like two brothers. I mean, it's almost like Andrew and Chris Cuomo just kind of hanging out, <laughs> hanging out on set and just chatting. Like, it seems so obvious that, that would be successful, though, you know, none of us thought of it. It seems like the first imaginative, different way to experience live sports, but it's just genius. And, and Matt's been writing about, you know, I'm pulling up his column from a couple of weeks ago where he's like, how about Boston sports idiots, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon <laughs> simulcasting a Red Sox-Yankees game? Like, sure, why not? I mean, it, it just feels that there's, sure, you can, you know, move one retired quarterback over to NBC or CBS or Fox or Amazon. But to some extent, the entire format feels so stodgy. And this isn't irrelevant, right? This is the entire, you know, if live sports and live football specifically is keeping so much of these kind of aging legacy media brands afloat. This is not just like a a funny niche piece of content here. Like this is, to some extent, the story of the future of media is can things like the Manning cast succeed? Well, I think, again, there are a couple of things happening here. One, I think on some level, like the cloud cover of COVID gave TV executives a chance to think differently and do things that seemed relatively easy, like having two former NFL Super Bowl champion brothers talk to each other about the game on TV. We see it all the time in cable news. Never made sense to me before why you'd have to like send out the town cars to pick up all these journalists and pump them up with makeup to have them, you know, kind of repeat talking points in cable news. And then when COVID hit, they just went on Zoom and everyone expected right. a much more sort of lo-fi experience in their television. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. In fact, the quality was actually better because people could have, you know, I like to think that people enjoy our podcast, Teddy, because we have real adult conversations and we're not speaking in like, micro-clipped talking points, which is not good content, you know, and that's essentially what what cable and and business news has and has always been. But in general, the thing you said that's most interesting to me is I have to think that like TV and broadcast, which is a medium that is in its third half century now, is going to begin to follow internet principles and and principles that the CPG businesses have already followed, which is they, they used to make things that were generally appeasing to large demographics when there were only three networks and then there were four and then there was cable and things were allowed to get more niche. And now with our mobile lives and our ability to get pretty much exactly what we want, whether it's a pair of sweatpants that we have a certain affinity to or a deodorant or a pair of sunglasses or a certain, you know, airline that you travel, like people kind of create their brands now and they're going to create their viewing experiences with sports like the NFL. And I would assume that truly every large sports league and every broadcast partner is going to find ways to broadcast the main event, maybe outside of the Super Bowl, but also numerous other ways of allowing the viewers to connect. And I'll give you one other example besides the Manning cast. I actually watched the Nickelodeon um, NFC wildcard game. I watched it with my eight-year-old son. After every sack, there was like a slime splattering. Honestly, this sounds great. It was great. It was great. And it occurred to me, like, why didn't they think of this years ago? Paramount Global at the time, just Viacom, CBS, they've had the rights to this forever. And now they stack the booth with some NFL talent and then some, you know, tweens. And it was a totally enjoyable broadcast. 
and probably a useful introduction for a new generation of fans to get into the sport. And I think that broadcasts like that will become the norm. And of course, they will, over time, move away from linear towards streaming and towards mobile apps. John, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a sec to chat more. back here on the powers that be with john kelly talking all things media john a few things i wanted to get into in this next little bit i mean you and i think a lot about the power of subscription sort of the uh path paver in subscription media has been netflix right for a long time mm-hmm. uh sending out cds that you paid money for now they are you know people don't even care when now when they charge more and more but there's been a lot of speculation or just curiosity from folks about whether or not Netflix never really strayed that much from a core business model, whether it's in sports or, or in how they make money. They said never say never mm-hmm. in response to the idea of them launching sort of an ad-based tier, which presumably would be cheaper, I don't know, maybe, maybe even free, but certainly not too much, which in theory could make it much more popular, especially in parts of the developing world where people don't have the ability to pay 20 bucks a month or whatever it is now. Tell me what that tells you. What's your bet? Is that going to happen ever? My hunch would be, and again, uh, as you know, I, I had a sort of sabbatical in my media career in private equity. So I, I, when I am presented with you know moments like this, I, I tend to take the private equity view, which is the best companies aren't always the most pure in terms of revenue stream. In fact, it's often the opposite. They're often the ones with, with the most uh, manifold and, and occasionally complex streams. Take Uber, for instance. Uber started mm-hmm. as a upscale black car company that worked in large metro areas. That was meant for like sort of prom night events in your life, taking an important person out to dinner, an anniversary, et cetera, et cetera. And then it turns out that it descended through the market so that it, it went from the, the very top of the mountain all the way down to the ability to select a group ride or an Uber X or an XL. It also extended into becoming basically a logistics company too. You know, Uber Eats is essentially the global platform for delivery now. It accomplished that in only a few small years. Easy to imagine how Uber Parcel, whatever it's called, you know, they have a messenger service. I know we've used it at Puck. That could easily destroy whatever the sort of modern urban fetch is. And, and it could eat into the margins of FedEx, which I think people like Scott Galloway say is likely to be featureized one day. So mm. when I think about Netflix, I see all these other revenue levers they can pull. Ad supported is one of them. Gaming, which they, I think, announced a couple of months ago they were um, exploring and then beginning to jump into. That's another huge one. So Netflix stock price, the market cap's around $150 billion, as we talked today down 40% in the last number of months. I imagine they're examining these levers more carefully, or at least maybe more openly than they have in the past. I'm sure that the CFO and the finance team have been reporting on what these you know, potential revenue projections could be over time. But now perhaps they're signaling to the market a little more forcefully that these right. are things that are under more serious consideration. I, I remember in September, just as an aside, one of our beloved colleagues, Dylan Byers' first piece about Disney was regarded how Bob Chapek, the new CEO, seemed hellbent on making sure that Disney's market cap was, you know, more significant than Netflix's. Now it is by like, you know, 
75 billion dollars so i imagine yeah, netflix that is at 165 right today so 165 yeah so they're falling and they're victims of, of the market they created right they, they created a, a world where they grew quarter to quarter without any real competition as, as most of hollywood happily took the the fees they paid to, to rebroadcast the movies and shows now they have serious competitors an incredibly ferocious competitor in disney and hulu i should say and then also no slouches in paramount global which has been a formidable entrant into this market. So I imagine that they will explore this. And it's hard to fathom, to be honest, that they don't open up a tier. The most successful companies in the last 50 years have all started at the top. And I'm thinking of like Tesla, Ralph Lauren, et cetera, started at the very top. Right. And then they've opened tiers down. It's very hard to start at the bottom and move up, which I think is what Paramount Global is realizing right now that they have a sort of mass market audience from CBS. And it's hard to move up the chain, especially when you you know, license out Yellowstone to, to Peacock. But starting at the top, I'm not, I wouldn't worry about Netflix. Although I should say, Teddy, as you would agree, this is not investment advice. Last thing, John, I want to talk about the sort of the, I guess this is maybe, we'll see what the business model of Ben and Justin Smith bring to the table. But every media company would like to be Netflix in some ways um, with people who pay around the globe, you know, a couple bucks a month for a massive media brand. Um, Tell me, so, so Ben Smith and Justin Smith have not been quiet, obviously, about this. They they seem to do a lot of interviews. I am amazed. I know I know that we are a navel-gazing industry, but I am amazed by just the amount of reportage on something that does not exist yet, yeah. which I guess we are guilty of because we we love this stuff too. But there's a New York Times story where like Justin Smith is doing like a Harvard Business School class or lecture and like the Times listens in and writes up 500 words about it. Like that would never be true for any other media company. Tell me where you think, I know, you know, we all know these people somewhat personally, but yeah. tell me where you think that idea is right now and what are you thinking about it as of March 2022? I have three top line thoughts here um, about Ben Justin. As you, and as you say, um, disclosures apply. Yeah, disclosures apply, right? Uh, everyone likes everyone. Um, thought one is, even though they've been handling this somewhat publicly, there's no way around that because journalists cover journalism. In fact, I think that um, some of the biggest stories in media, to get back to the conversation we had at the start of the show, are lost because of journalists' obsession with their own sort of you know micro sector of media. So, you know, the, the multi-zillion dollar gaming industry is largely gone uncovered because while well, we see multiple articles about Justin and Ben, so... That's inevitable. It just is what it is. And I think they may have leaned into it in the, in the beginning, but I think now they're they're actually trying to do their best to um, move beyond it. I know Ben started a Substack. At least I think it was a Substack, but it's a personal email announcing updates on the project, which seems to be his way of, I presume, both spreading news of what they're accomplishing, but also collecting email addresses along the way. So smart guy, smart idea, and I'm all for it. The thought too is, Journalists in general, we, we talk about this all the time, really underplay their own value. And I give Justin and Ben an enormous amount of credit for just coming in and saying that they want to do something new and that inevitably doing something new will create other new ideas and, and, and ripple across the ecosystem and, and probably create wealth for a profession that deserves it. I'll be interested to see what, what sort of business model innovation they bring to bear here. Right, right. They haven't exactly spelled out whether or not it's subscription or free, whether, maybe I missed something, but. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't know the, the fundamentals of the business. I certainly, you know, I, I've heard things off the record from from people that we're all talking to the same people, but I don't fundamentally know. I assume. You can't not do a subscription tier right now. I mean, that would be. You can't yeah, not. Right, yeah, you right. can't not. So I imagine it's a hybrid and I imagine that they'll find ways to disrupt the hegemons. And I think that's a good thing for journalists because there've been too few options for too long. Um, my third thought is in the 
HBS talk that Justin gave, or maybe it was HBR, I'm not sure. Uh, it was somewhere at Harvard. He said that the name of the new business, or the name, the name of the- Oh, God, yeah. So the name of the, um, I think the external part of the new business, I'm sure the, the new business has already been incorporated in your home state of Delaware for some time. And I, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your tax dollars at work. My parents appreciate the lack of sales tax. Yeah, but so the, the idea here was that it's, it's going to be named something that uh, identifiable brand in English across the world. So I think in 25 to 35 languages is what he said. <laughs> oh, so okay. I, have a, I have a prediction. Okay, hit me. I, I think it's going to be news. Just N-E-W-S. Just, just N-E-W-S or, or Z. Um, <laughs> yeah, is that right. how you spell it in, 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 in Deutschland? Yes. Um, that would be certainly a recognizable brand. Capital N, news. News.co, news. You know, news.news. It's better than soup, which was the other idea that uh, apparently is is one of the words that the time story was like reciting a few possible words that if you didn't know were well-known across the English-speaking world. And one of them is soup. So soup news. That's so funny. I'm going to go with news. And if I get it right, then I don't know what to say, Teddy. Maybe I'll be your understudy for uh, the powers that be daily host. Bold prediction. You know, speaking of bold predictions for folks who are not in the puck news bracket, John has selected Michigan, uh, an 11 seed. Is there a logic to that, or is that are you just kind of trolling in the? Uh... It's still. Um, I, I was waiting for this. It, it's still <laughs> possible Michigan won't make it to our appointed release time on on Monday <laughs> right, morning. Yes. Um, you know, I was looking at the bracket. This is a year where there are, there are no outstanding teams to be sure, and the Duke team, as much of a fairy tale story as that might be, that team does not seem prepared to to meet the moment of um, of Coach K's send off. I don't like Gonzaga. I don't know what to tell you. Like. I don't like the West Coast Conference or whatever that they play in. I feel like they do get a sort of easy walk to the tournament. I believe in Michigan. I like Juwan Howard. I'm, I grew up in the heart of the Fab Five era. Mm. And I thought it was ridiculous to give you a serious answer. Um, you know, someone took a punch at him and then he punched them back. Right, knowing, right. He shoved, he shoved him back in the chest or something. Exactly. And I don't know what went on. The whole thing looked awful. And obviously the leader of college-age kids should not be taking a swing at anyone. But on some level, I'm just here to believe that that has forged this team together and they are going to go down and just, you know, kick everyone's ass and go blue. Well, you get, you get kudos for, you know, it's very tempting in a small bracket to just go chalk because you're like not, like there's a good chance you can win just by being That's boring right. and conservative, but you have the boldest. I have Arizona winning, but bold predictions are appreciated here on the powers that be. <laughs> thank you, Teddy. <laughs> John, thank you for coming by and Peter, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck, now daily. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for all their editorial and production help. If you like what you hear, please share us with a friend. It really helps us deliver all the goods we have here at Puck. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Teddy Schleifer. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 